Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to John from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that's, nothing says Christmas like unquenchable fire. So... <laughs> 30 years removed from what we looked at last week. We fast forward 30 years. And John is the fulfillment of some words that were spoken at the end of Malachi. Remember we talked about that 400-year silent period between Malachi and Matthew. The last thing, words of God to his people is, I'm going to send you an Elijah, and he's going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And John is the fulfillment of that prophecy or of that Word And he has a very pivotal role to play in preparing the way for Jesus. We've spent the past two weeks talking about how we prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in us. We prepare for a surprise. We looked at Zechariah, who is not very well prepared for a surprise, and Mary, who was. And we talked about preparing to wait well. If we're preparing, then by definition, we're looking for something in the future that's not yet present to us, and so we're going to have to wait. And we used Anna and Simeon as examples of how to wait well. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about preparing our heart for God to work through us, not just in us, but through us. And John the Baptist uh, is who we're going to use today as a springboard to talk about how do we prepare our hearts for God to work through us in the world. John prepared the way for Jesus' first coming, and we as Christians have a responsibility to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming, for his return. He's coming back. We don't know when. We don't know if we'll be alive when he comes back. But regardless of that, we have a responsibility to prepare the way for him, to, to, to make ready a people for Jesus. So what exactly does that look like? And when Jesus is talking about his second coming in Matthew 24, he says this, first the gospel must be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Then I'm going to come back. After the gospel has been preached, to all nations. And so part of what it means for us to prepare the way is to preach the gospel to all nations. There's 195 countries in the world, so do we just need to beam John 3.16 into each one of those countries and we're done. We've kind of done our job. Not, not, not so much. Those countries, the, the 195 countries, those are, are countries that we created, the, the winners of wars and signers of treaties. That's how those boundaries are drawn. That's not what God looks at. He doesn't look at those lines on a map when he looks at the world. What he looks at are, are groups of people. People have common language and common culture. And people who study this say there's about 17,000 of those groups of people. They're called people groups. There's 17,000 
of them, and of those 17,000, about 7,000 of them are unreached. They don't have much access to the gospel at all. And so when we hear that, preach the gospel to all nations, don't think preach the gospel to 195 countries. Think preach the gospel to 17,000 people groups, knowing there's 7,000 who still have not been reached. And even preaching the gospel, it doesn't just mean standing up and telling people about Jesus. There's more to it than that. If you look at Revelation 7, there's this picture of the throne of God and, and there's a multitude that no one can count from every tribe and language and tongue and, and people. What God is looking for is not just for this message to be proclaimed to 17,000 people, but to form a people for himself from, from all of those groups. He's looking for sons and daughters. He's looking for disciples. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, not of all countries. 17,000 people groups, and God is looking for as many as who will say yes to him from each one of those groups to respond. And we all have a role to play in that. When we become Christians, we get a new identity. We're adopted into God's family and we become sons and daughters of God. And we also become missionaries, sent ones. Jesus says, as I was sent, I'm sending you. We're adopted into God's family and then we're sent out by God to do his business, to cooperate with him and what he's doing in the world, forming this people for himself from all of these people groups all over the world. And you have a role to play and I have a role to play in that. You'll see where all these people are located. They're in that red band. We live over there in that green dot. Most of us are never going to move over there. Some of you may visit, most of you won't. We heard last week from our long-term missionaries, most of them are stationed in those red areas and work among those groups of people. And, and those of you who support them, you put money in the bucket when it comes around, then you support them, you pray for them. Some of you support them in addition to what you give to the church, and that's wonderful. And that's one of the ways that you prepare the way for Jesus' return is you support people who are actively working in these areas of the world that are unreached and underreached. And this requires some level of faith from us. And I think it's something that many of us can miss is it's not just how you support people who work in that red area. There's, there's more to it than you writing a check. And as important as prayer is, there's more than you praying for people who are actively working in those red areas. What you do here in Marietta on December 16th 2018, somehow that contributes to what God is doing in the world. We're part of a body of Christ that extends geographically around the whole world, and this is difficult. It also it's, extends historically throughout time, forwards and backwards. And so the things that we do in 2018 have an impact in 2025, and the things that we do in Marietta have an impact in China, and, and we can't see all of those connections. And again, we have to take in faith that what we do matters. I just finished a biography about a guy named Hudson Taylor. You may have heard of him. He was one of the first missionaries into inland China in the mid-1800s. One of the first Western missionaries into inland China. And we think about taking the gospel to the, to the nations, a guy like Hudson Taylor is who you think of. He went where, where, where Christians had never gone. When he was telling people about Jesus, he literally was introducing them to Jesus for the first time. And again, for most of us, that's not going to be the reality of our lives. And it can become easy to lose sight of how what we're doing here impacts what God is doing there. 
and it, it, can, it can become pretty easy just to fall into the, the rhythm of our daily life, taking care of our family, working our job, kind of going week to week. Somebody led Hudson Taylor to the Lord, and somebody discipled him, and somebody led those people to the Lord, and discipled them and somebody led those people to the Lord and discipled them and somebody led those people to the Lord and discipled them. Hudson Taylor went an island. He was part of this string of people who were being discipled by a string of people. And I don't know how what you do and what I do connects to what God is doing and will do all over the world, but I know that it does because he has one mission. And he invites all of his sons and daughters to be a part of that mission. I want to encourage you this morning as you prepare for Christmas, not just to prepare for what God wants to do in you, but also to prepare yourself for how God wants to work through you. Jeremy talked earlier about what is Christmas. What Christmas is. is a statement by God that he's coming to rescue all of us. That's what it is. You can see it as a declaration of war against the enemy, against darkness, against sin. And you get to be a part of that battle when you're reconciled to him. That's what Christmas is. And as you prepare and in the midst of all the other things that are wonderful and good, I hope that you can keep that truth in mind and use John the Baptist maybe as a model for you. You're not going to live a life of like he did. He was a wild man in a lot of ways. He lived in the desert. He wore weird clothes. He ate an odd diet. But he had a strong sense of what God was calling him to do, which was preach this message of repentance. That's who John was, or excuse me, that's what John did. So he, he lived out in the wilderness, and his job was to tell the Jews, you're not ready. God is coming, and you're not ready for him. And their assumption would have been, well, we're, we are ready. We're, we're Jews. That's what makes us ready, our heritage, our lineage, our ethnicity. That makes us ready. And John is saying, no, you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind and change your behavior. You've got to align yourself with who God is and what God's doing. He can make children for, from Abraham. He can make Jews out of rocks. That's not the issue. The issue is are you aligned properly with God because he's coming and he's going to bring judgment. That was John's message. And as a sign of your repentance, I'm going to dunk you in the Jordan River as an outward sign of God's inward, of your inward alignment with him. John knew his role very clearly, and you have a role to play as well. At Stonebridge, we call that doing your deal. Ephesians 2.10, God has created good works in advance for every one of us to do. And, and we want to discern what those works are. God's already determined them, just like with John, before he was even conceived in Elizabeth's womb. The angel Gabriel says to Zechariah, John's dad, here's his name, it's going to be John, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to turn hearts of, chil of children to their fathers and fathers back to their children. He's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. There's good works for you to do that God's already determined that fit you perfectly. The same God that knit you together in your mother's womb also created good works for you to do. Do you know your role? 
You can ask yourself a few questions. We don't have time to dig too deep into this, but maybe one of them will resonate with you. First thing you do is you ask God because he's the one that decides. God, what are the good works? You look up. What are the good works that you've created for me to do? You look in. What stirs you? What moves you emotionally? Things that make you angry and things that bring you joy don't necessarily make other people angry or bring them joy. Take note of those things. That may be a clue to how God wants to use you. You look back. Where have you seen fruit? Where does God tend to use you to bless other people? That can be a clue for how he wants to continue to use you in the future. What are you drawn to? You look out. Some of you are drawn to places, those red areas on the map. Some of you are drawn to particular groups of people here in our city. Pay attention to that. You begin to ask those questions before the Lord in faith, believing that he has a role for you to play in what he's doing in the world, even if you can't see how it's connected. Your responsibility is to be faithful. You won't know most likely until you're standing before him how what you did mattered. And so in faith, you continue to be faithful to what you know to do. John the Baptist also, he wrapped his life around his sense of calling or, or his lifestyle was appropriate to his calling. Again, he was a bit of a wild man. There were some prophecies that he fulfilled. The voice of one calling in the wilderness. He lived in the desert. It doesn't work if he lives in the city. He's, a, he's this Elijah who God would send. Not the literal Elijah from the Old Testament, but someone in the line of Elijah. And he, Elijah wore a, a garment made of hair and a leather belt, and so did John. He preached this message of, uh, that was stern, and his life kind of mirrored that. He had this austere lifestyle. If you read Luke, when he's talking to people about repenting, it's, there's a financial component to all three of the examples he gives. He's speaking to people who are exploiting other people, to people who are greedy and, and are self-indulgent. And he can, with credibility, talk to those people very strongly because his life is one of simplicity, eating locusts and honey, living in the desert, wearing simple clothing. His lifestyle and his role in what God was doing are congruent with one another. And this is where many of us actually fall down on the job. We may have a sense of what God is calling us to do, but to actually create a lifestyle that's appropriate to that or to create a life where that, that's congruent with that calling can be a struggle for some of us. Maybe a picture that would help you is the one of wine and wineskins. In Mark chapter 2, there's some people coming and they're complaining to Jesus because his disciples don't fast. Fasting was seen as a practice that was, it was, a, it was an expression of righteousness and devotion. And fasting was said to, to bring the kingdom more, more uh, quickly. If we want the Messiah to come, we need to fast. So John's disciples fasted. The disciples of the Pharisees fasted. Jesus' disciples didn't, and so there was some confusion. Jesus, you're saying the kingdom of God is near, but you're not doing this thing that we know helps make the kingdom a reality. Fasting, how How come? And what Jesus' response is, is I'm doing something new, and this new thing that I'm doing requires new expressions of righteousness and devotion. It's a new work, and so there's going to be some new practices. Just like you wouldn't, if you had a rip in the knee of your jeans, you wouldn't use un, a, an unshrunk patch. Because when you wash your jeans, the patch is going to shrink, and it's going to rip the jeans again. Also with, with wine, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin, because new wine is still fermenting, so it's going to expand, and an old wineskin is not 
pliable. It's already expanded to its limits. And so as the new wine expands, it's going to rip the skin and you're going to lose both the wine and the wine skin. So if you have new wine that's still expanding, you put it in a new wine skin that's still pliable that can expand with it. It's not that new is better than old or old is better than new. It's what's appropriate. And if your goal is to patch your knees of your jeans, then you use an old patch. If the goal of, your, uh, of this wine uh, skin is to, to preserve your wine so you can keep it or take it to your friend's house for dinner, if it's new wine, you use a new wine skin or you're going to lose it on the way. It's what's appropriate, what's suitable, not necessarily what's better or worse. And so think about that as you think about your life, not what's better or worse, what's suitable. If you have some sense of what God is calling you to do, what your role is in the kingdom, does your lifestyle, is your lifestyle suitable for that? Can it carry that? Is it appropriate? Is it congruent? Personal example, not because I'm great, just because maybe it will encourage you. So a couple of years ago, at a staff meeting, the question came out, if, if we were sent here to Marietta from another church in another country, Korea sends out a ton of missionaries. If we were sent by South Korea, and they said, you're going to be a missionary to Marietta, and they dropped me here, and they dropped us here on the square, what would we do? Most of us don't live our lives like missionaries because we don't recognize that we're sent. We think we're in Marietta because of Kennesaw State or because of our family or because of a job. We don't recognize that God's hand in that. We don't see beneath those circumstances to see how God sovereignly has placed us where we are. And so to kind of strip that back, we just said, what if we knew that God had sent us here, a church had sent us here and dropped us here and said, you're going to be a missionary to this city. What would we do? And we kind of went around the room, and it was just gut-level response. Nobody had any time to think. And the thing that I said, which I can't even to this day believe that I said is, I would do um, some sports thing with kids, which is not, that's not me. Either one of those things. That's not me. But that's what I said. And so I thought, well, maybe there's something to that. If that was my gut response, maybe there's something to that. And so we started talking around to some other churches that have gyms to see if there's some opportunities, maybe do some kind of after school thing in their gym with some of the local schools and nothing really worked out and I wasn't sure what to do and then in the summer we got a call from uh, somebody from the central office and this guy said hey what what about y'all doing soccer at Park Street would y'all be interested in that and that's sports and that's kids and so I said sure we'll do that and that's what we've been doing for the past year and a half we've done soccer basketball soccer soccer and we're about to do basketball again in the winter and I don't know how that impacts what God is doing in the world. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue how having 43 kids on a field and playing soccer and goofing around or playing basketball and goofing around. I don't understand how any of that fits in the broader context of 3.13 billion people who still haven't heard the gospel or 7,000 people groups that are underserved. I don't know. But I know my responsibility is to be faithful, and so I show up on Wednesdays and do what I can. And again, that's not to pat me on the back. That's just to say it's that simple. It's just that simple. Can you show up on Wednesday? Can you make some room on Friday night for what God is asking you to do? Many of us, we live myopically. All we can see is what's right in front of us, and we lose sight of this broader work 
of God. I think it's one of the enemy's greatest strategies. It's, 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 it's the weeds in Matthew 13. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things and the worries of this world that choke out the work of God in our life. The, the, the work of God can't flourish in our life and produce fruit because all of these other good things are choking it out. And so for many of us, that's how we live. We live strangled. And it takes some intentionality to pull out some weeds and to create some space. You don't have to move out to a desert. You don't have to eat weird food. You don't have to wear weird clothes. But you do have to create some room in your life to say, if this is what God is asking me to do, then I need to do it for some of you. You know what it is. It's you're a hospitable person, and your thing is you invite people into your home, but the issue is you're never home. You're never home, so you can't have anybody over because you're not there. You've got to make a choice. Create some room. You don't have to do it every night, but create some room. You're going to have to say no to something in order to say yes to whatever this is that God is asking of you. There may be some of you that have to make some hard choices. Maybe there's some things around your kids that you know God is asking you to do, and it may mean some choices with your career. That ha- there, there may be some things there that have to shift around in order for you to be more available in terms of your calling with your kids and their friends. I don't know. It's creating some space. And, it doesn't, and most likely the things that you're having to move around or maybe even say no to, they're going to be good things. If they're bad things, you wouldn't be doing them anyway. I would encourage you as you think about Christmas and then New Year's, great time to start something new. What's a new rhythm that you can incorporate that would make some space in your life for you to engage in the work that God is calling you to do? You may not have a clue what the first step is, and so maybe you just begin to pray. God, I, I want to be obedient. I, I don't know who to call. I don't know how to start. I just have this sense. You start there, and maybe you get a phone call from somebody and says, what about this? It might not be that easy for you. But I do know if God's created good works for you to do, if God is intentionally pursuing people from 17,000 different people groups, he'll, he'll call on you. He'll let you know. You, again, you may not see how it ties into the bigger picture, but he does. Your responsibility is to be faithful. Let's take a few minutes and pray. So you can come on back. I want you to ask these two questions before the Lord. Your first question. If you were sent to Marietta, so you live in, we'll just call it Korea, and they send you to Marietta as a missionary, and they drop you right here on the square, what are you going to do? What would you do to reach this community? Don't put any restrictions around what you think you're good at or what you have time for. What would you do?
what if that thing that you just thought of that just popped into your mind, what if that's one of the good works that God has created for you to do? What if the reason you thought of that is because he prompted you to think of it? Would you say yes? Will you say yes? Second question. What does it look like for you to create space in your life to do that thing? What does it look like for you to develop a a wineskin, a lifestyle that's appropriate to the wine, to the work of God in your life? You don't have to think of everything, but what's one step? What's an initial yes? You need to hear any of this as pressure. It's a privilege. God doesn't need us, but he's chosen to work through us. The 3.13 billion don't get reached if we don't say yes to what's in front of us. You don't, you don't have to move. You just have to be faithful. And even in that, it's not up to you, your own strength, your own ingenuity. The Holy Spirit will empower you. And so that's what we ask, Father. We ask for you to pour your Spirit out upon us in these next couple of minutes that we have together. I pray that you bring clarity to everyone who's going, I don't know. I'd love to know what my calling is. I'd love to know what role you want me to play. I don't have a clue. Holy Spirit, would you bring clarity in these next few moments? Would you reveal to us these plans and purposes that God has predetermined for every man and woman in this room? Would those who feel pressure to get it right, I pray for grace for them. To take a step. To just take a step. God, I pray for those who have a sense of calling. They have a sense of what their, these good works are. But they're just getting choked out by the dailiness of life. And God, I pray that you would give us grace to know how to create space in our life for your work to flourish. Nobody has to be a hero and nobody's got to be a martyr. I pray you just speak very clearly to us, Holy Spirit. What's an initial yes? How do we create space? A lifestyle that's appropriate to the work you've called us to do. Would you encourage us in these moments, Holy Spirit? I pray for a sense of hope for people who are saying, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have the skills, I don't have the connections, I don't know enough. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would confirm in their hearts, you're enough. We have you, we've got enough. So come and minister to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. I would say those two questions particularly, if one of those resonates most 
deeply with you, please let us pray. If you don't have a strong sense of what your role is, then let's pray for God to speak to you. We're not going to tell you what to do, but we'll pray for God to reveal that to you. And you, you may have a sense of what that is, but you don't know how to take the first step. You don't have a good wineskin. And we'll pray for God to reveal that to you as well. Again, nobody's going to tell you what to do, but we're going to ask the Lord to speak to you and encourage you in that. So you guys can stand, worship with us, respond as you will, and Bo will dismiss us after this song.